0: And welcome to The Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host, I am your guide, as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call The Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, and The Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on The Exxon Broadcast Network and our growing family of broadcast affiliates around the world, and on our satellite programming providers. If you'd like to send an email, studio at com on all social media sites, Radio TV, and our website, com. We're going to be talking today about the psychology of terrorism. And Dr. Ann Speckard is with us. She's the director of the International Center for Study of Violent Extremism at George University Adjunct. Uh, Associate Professor of Psychiatry and world-renowned expert on the psychology of terrorism. She's interviewed nearly 500 terrorists and also survivors of terror attacks and uh, hostage-takings. She is currently interviewing ISIS defectors and developing a counterterrorism program to fight ISIS in the social media space. She has uh, the insight to break down the inner workings of a terror operation and the psychology behind it. Uh, First of all, Dr. Speckhardt, always great talking to you. Thank you very much for joining us today. And um, in your opinion, why is terrorism still happening around the world?
3: Well, Rob, um, terrorism is about politics, and it's about people that give up on the political process and decide that attacking innocent civilians is the way to go. They think that using violence will uh, change the political process, and they'll get what they want.
0: But haven't they seen by now it really doesn't work?
3: No, because um, in short run, uh, sometimes it does work. I mean, I don't think that there's ever been any, you know, great victory for terrorists. Mm -hmm. But there have been short run gains. Um, They can disrupt the political process in Madrid when they um, bombed the train station there. I think they bombed two trains. Mm -hmm. Uh, The election results were totally changed. And... um, you know, those kind of things can happen all the time, and they can they can force concessions from the government that they're trying to deal with. Um, they can force people out of office.
0: How is terrorism born?
3: Uh, from uh, uh, the political process failing, and and from people having access to um, the ability to create violent solutions, and then developing an ideology that promotes using terrorism as a solution. And always these ideologies are wrong, but they argue that for this cause, we can use violence. Maybe we're defending our faith, we're Mm -hmm. defending innocent unborn babies, we're defending our land, our women are being raped. So this time, and for this cause, we can uh, suddenly attack innocent civilians.
0: In your opinion, Doctor, the Black Lives Matter movement, are they a terrorist group?
3: Not as far as I can see.
2: Um, I mean, I, I don't
3: see an ideology coming out of them that says to use violence. I mean, to tell you the truth, that's not a movement that I'm really on top of. Okay. But no, I think it's angry people that are angry about police violence.
0: Well, what what's the difference then between people who are angry against police violence and terrorism then?
3: Well, again, you're asking me about something I haven't studied. Okay. But as far as I see it, the Black Lives Matter movement Brings people out to the street, uh, Mm -hmm. tries to uh, engage in nonviolent ways and is really, really angry about a lot of black people being uh, uh, stopped and frisked and killed uh, by various police departments around the country. And uh, if they start saying things like that, we should kill the police, Mm -hmm. then that's a a different story. Then then we're talking about a movement that's endorsing violent solutions to a political problem. And there is a real political problem problems sadly
0: so uh, uh, a non-terroristic movement as we're portraying black lives matter to be right now can in fact morph into a terrorism group if their methods and means of operation escalate
3: that's actually something that i've been concerned about because yeah. uh, we've seen isis um try to infiltrate when freddie gray was killed in baltimore ISIS was tweeting, uh, black men of Baltimore, we're with you. Mm-hmm. And um, ISIS makes a real point of saying, we don't care about skin color. We don't care about ethnicity. We speak multiple languages. The important thing is we're united by God.
0: Right. And doctor, we've got to take our break here. Please stand by. Exo Nation, Dr. Anne Speckhardt is our special guest this hour. And the good doctor and I return on the other side of the short break here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Ian Speckhardt is our special guest this hour. We're talking about terrorism. And um, first of all, doctor, thanks very much uh, so much for reaching out to us all the way from Greece. And um, when it comes to terrorism worldwide, based on the psychology and the people that you've interviewed, are the tactics the nations are using to try and fight ISIS, in your opinion, the best methods to be used?
3: Would you repeat that,
0: please? Certainly. Based on the people that you have interviewed who were terrorists, uh, and based on your expertise in psychology, are the nations of the world who are trying to defeat ISIS using the right tactics and techniques?
3: Okay, Rob. This is a tricky question because anything you do is going to have a trade-off. Sure. So there's never a completely right answer. I mean, the, the, the right answer is, you know, sort of the beauty pageant answer of bring uh, peace and mm-hmm. uh, goodness around the world. And if you can do that, that's what you should do. But in the absence of that, um, right now we're seeing uh, drone kills and bombings and trying to kill terrorist leaders. And when you knock out the leadership, that does uh, decapitate the group. But if they can easily replace their leaders and if the expertise like bomb making expertise is widely diffused throughout the group um then that's not something that works real well and the trade-off is terrorists almost always embed themselves in civilian communities so if you kill a terrorist leader you usually kill the people around him um and then they can make videos and photos of killed little kids and uh females that are killed and uh they can recruit more people to their movement and create anger over what we're doing to try to stop the terrorist movement. So the answer is yes and no. Um, we're certainly winning back a lot of the territory when we're fighting ISIS right now. Um, we've hit a lot of the leadership and taken them out. That's good. Um, it'll remain to be seen whether they can um, still operate in a smaller territory if leaders will rise up to uh, take the places of those we've killed and if they'll have the same level of expertise, I, I'm a little worried that they will. And um, and also, when we talked to ISIS defectors, they told us if we lose our territory, it's not a problem. We shave our beards and we blend into normal society. And if you watch what's going on in Turkey right now, all they have to do is get back over into Turkey and they can blend in in Turkey. And ISIS is really tolerated in Turkey right now.
0: What about the terroristic uh, possibilities here in the homeland, in Canada and the United States? Let's talk about the United States because that's where the bulk of our listeners are. Should the doors to such massive numbers of immigrants be opened, especially since the, the vetting process cannot be accomplished in the same way and manners as it can be from other nations who actually have databases and who have the information that the vetting officers can actually verify.
3: Well, Rob, there, again, you're um, dealing with trade-offs, and we have to decide. um, We are a signatory to the UN. Mm -hmm. Um, We do believe in taking refugees in, and if we want to change our stance on that, we can. Um, There are issues with refugees, particularly if you take them from a war-torn area where groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS have um, been good at recruiting because you may end up getting someone that's been recruited to the group. That's usually not the case. There have been um, uh, a couple of cases now in Europe where uh, ISIS cadres have represented themselves as Syrian refugees. They even had fake passports. Mm -hmm. But my view is, if you're trying to get into the U.S., why would you go to all that work? Why would you... risk getting caught as you go through the refugee vetting process, if I was ISIS, if I was in the leadership, I would just use somebody that hasn't, um, that oh, we call them clean skins, that they're, they haven't uh, been noticed by law enforcement, but you've got them solidly on board, and that has a European passport. And I would put, you know, 10 of them on planes with instructions, go to this city, buy guns, and uh, do a Nairobi-style attack. And uh, it's very simple. So, you know, using the visa waiver system would be much more um, useful and likely to end with a result that a terrorist group wants than waiting for two years and going through the vetting process and on and on. And we have to say we've had tons of refugees come that have made great contributions to our society. And, And, you know, just looking at the Syrians running away from ISIS and running away from Assad. I mean, pregnant women are getting on boats. Uh, they don't know how to swim. They're going across on overloaded boats in high seas. Even in winter, there was a woman that landed in Lesbos, Greece, that gave birth the minute the um, uh, landed on the beach. And. You know, that's someone I want to open my arms to. I, I'm not afraid of her. I I feel fear with her for what she's running
0: from. But it would seem that the, the vast majority of Americans are against the Syrian refugees. And it's one of the hottest topics uh, in the presidential candidates that we see on television and the media. It's nice to be part of the United Nations, but the United Nations doesn't take uh, any of the any of the uh, consequences for the economic disrupture that these these immigrants are causing on all the nations that are taking them. Do you think the United Nations is just going a little bit way too far?
3: No, the United Nations is all of our countries together, and we've made our policies as mm-hmm. countries together of what's the right and just way to handle refugees. And uh, if we want to change those policies, we certainly can. But the question is... Um, How much do you let fear rule you? And right now we have Donald Trump doing a lot of fear-mongering. But
0: But he's just expressing the voice of the people. That's what the American public are saying. We don't want refugees. We want our borders closed. The refugees are ruining our country. If that's the voice of the people, then he's doing the right thing.
3: The voice of the people gets shaped by what their politicians tell them, what their news tells them. And if their news is constantly Mm -hmm. telling them to be afraid, yeah then they'll say uh close our borders well we, we've seen what it, I'm if they look at it realistically mm-hmm. they'll see that uh refugees are the backbone of this nation this is i mean we're an immigrant country and every wave of immigrants we've ever had into this country mm-hmm. um has had dissenters that said those people will ruin our country Thought i mean we had- i'm irish and uh you know sure. uh, used to be irish not welcome
0: yeah, well, you see, except there's one big problem that I see. We don't have the immigrants from Ireland, Scotland, Italy, and the rest of the the rest of the countries that enriched both Canada and the United States by coming over, trying to force Sharia law on us and making us comply to their way of life, com- making us. uh, making us take them and what they believe in and forcing us out. I believe we're too politically correct. And when I see people like Donald Trump standing up to the the status quo, you know, he's got to say, well, geez, all these people are behind him. And, you know, I don't want Sharia law. If they don't like it, go back home. You know, like, why why should they be able to force their beliefs on us. Like, you can't even say Merry Christmas anymore. It's not the Christmas holidays. It has to be the winter break. It's not Easter anymore. It has to be the spring break. Don't you think that when you look at the big picture, without even contemplating what politicians are saying and what the media is saying, but when you look at the day-to-day life, that it's gone too far.
3: Well, Rob, um, the examples that you just gave of you shouldn't wish Merry Christmas anymore... If, if that's true in a public school, it's true because, at least in my country, uh, we separate religion and state. So um, if we can't say Merry Christmas, we also can't say um, uh, Ramadan Mubarak, because church and state are separated. And in my view, that's a good thing. I, I'm totally supportive of that. And uh, I don't see anybody forcing Sharia on anyone in the U.S. I mm-hmm. certainly see it happening in Syria and Iraq. And if people want to run away from that, I don't blame them in the least, and I'd be happy to help them. You would. But, um, of course. Why? I I feel sorry for any woman that's uh, forced to wear a niqab and a burqa against her will. I feel sorry for women that are forced to marry, Mm -hmm. uh, are forced to stay in their home and can't leave their home without a a male chaperone. But I don't fear that happening in the U.S. at all. We've got good laws, and we've got a good political process. But... uh, but no that... one forces their religion on other people in uh, modern democracies. That's not happening.
0: I disagree with you there, Doctor. I wholeheartedly disagree with you.
3: Well, if you can give me good examples of where that's happening and laws that support that. But um,
0: look what I live happen- in look, Washington,
3: look- D.C., and I don't see any laws that support uh, forcing other people to take on your religion and dress like them. Well, look what's fact, happening, look what's happening throughout Europe. There- Look opposite. what's happening!
0: Look what's happening throughout Europe, where the refugees have been given the opportunity I
3: mean, to. I mean, the burkini ban. I mean, France passed a law just the opposite mm-hmm. that oh, uh, you can't wear, you cannot wear a burkini on the beach. So it's just the opposite of what you're saying. That no,
0: no, ma'am, it's that... not. No, I'm sorry. Look at the pictures and the reports that we see out of Paris. Look at the, look at the terrorist attack in Paris. Look what's happening to London. You know, I'm sorry. It seems that they want to escape the tyranny, they want to escape the war, and yet they want, to, they want to carry on in the way that they ran away from in the new countries that they come to.
3: Well, first of all, the Paris and Belgium attacks were taken, uh, for the most part, by people that had grown up in Belgium and France, and they hated their own countries. And there's a reason for that. They were North Africans that uh, were second generation, so born in country. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the countries in Europe don't have the same social systems that we have in the United States and I think in Canada. If you come as an immigrant, it doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what color you are. You have a good chance of succeeding. And uh, if your dad came as a coal miner, Mm -hmm. uh, the society doesn't expect you to be a coal miner and your grandchildren to be a coal miner. Um, you, can, you can get educated and you can move up. And that's what a melting pot society is about. And we should be very, very proud of that. So we don't have the same issues as they have in Belgium and France. Um, and I can tell you, I made hundreds of interviews in Belgium mm-hmm. with people that were born in country, but were from North Africa by descent. So they were Muslim, North African, Belgians. And they would tell me things like, uh, they couldn't get jobs. I, I would watch. If they went to the nightclub, the bouncer would tell them, go home Moroccan. That is not going to happen in the U.S. I mean, I know we have some race issues. We acknowledge that at the top of this program. Sure. But, but we do not have um, issues with Muslims. We don't. Where we would tell somebody, based on your religion, you can't get in this nightclub. Or based on uh, your ethnic heritage, you can't get in this nightclub. You know, go home Moroccan. That doesn't happen. Um we have really good uh, laws with really good teeth in them about rental and and buying homes. People that live in Molenbeek, Brussels, tell me they can't move out of Molenbeek even if they want to because nobody will rent to them. I had a PhD uh, Algerian, Mm -hmm. a very nice woman, very cultured, helping me in Paris when I went into the Banlouis to make interviews. And she told me, Anna, I can't rent an apartment. Everywhere I show up, they're like, oh, you're Algerian? Forget it. I mean, they would say it right to her face. And um, the Europeans have laws against discrimination, but they don't have good um, remedies. So anybody that goes to through a very bureaucratic process to fight that they've been discriminated against uh, will win basically nothing.
4: All
0: right. Stand by, doctor. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. ExoNation. Dr. Ann Speckard is our special guest. And here's a couple of websites www.anspeckard.com and www.icsve.org. I'm Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Don't go away. Donation, Dr. Ann Speckard is our special special guest. www.anspeckard.com and www.icsve.org. You know, Doctor, uh, I, I agree that there may be a little bit too much hype in the news. I believe that there might be a little bit too much hype with certain politicians. But when we look back and we remember the Boston Marathon bombing, we remember San Bernardino, we remember 9-11, we remember the first attack on the World Trade Center, we look at all the terroristic acts that are going on in other parts of the world, when we realize that the fight against Islam is nothing new, we go back to the Crusades, nothing has changed. There has to be a better reason than what we're being told. There has to be something a lot deeper. And I, th- and I think taking separating the church and state really didn't accomplish anything. So what, what, what do we do? What are, these, what are these people that you're interviewing that, that paint a totally different picture from the one that most of us ever see? Where is the problem?
3: It's political, Rob. I mean, if you live in an area, I mean, Mm -hmm. I just got back in June from interviewing in the Balkans. And if you live in an area where there's really high unemployment and there was war, and you remember that people came to your aid during the war and stopped the rapes and stopped things, that was uh, us. Thank you very much, NATO and America. And you remember that. And then you see what's going on in Syria and you see Assad... uh, treating his population horribly, Um, a lot of people from Kosovo um, went to hell. When they got there, they were like, wait a second, I'm not sure about these groups, I'm not sure about this version of Islam. Some of them loved it. They were like, hey, this looks good to me. I like the idea of a caliphate. But keep in mind, when they're being sold the caliphate, the ones that liked it, the others went home, but the ones that liked the caliphate, they're being told, this is a wealthy oil nation, and we're gonna share the wealth. Um, You're going to have an important position. Um, We're going to live by our religion. And, you know, of course, eventually they see that this is all a pack of lies. But if you come from high unemployment, no hope, no nothing, and you remember war and you feel strongly about justice, you might go and help. And, you know, eventually you're going to wake up and say, this is a really dark movement and dark group that's doing terrible things. But... You know the allure. You have to understand it in the context in which it occurs. If it occurs with a very unhappy life, with a feeling that I can't live my religion, or I can't, um, I can't get a job, I, I can't uh, make it in my life, then, you know, you start to understand it differently.
0: Okay, so you've got all these, but, but. Let's go back to what I said. This is nothing new, the fight between Christianity and other religions against Islam. It's thousands of years old. It's nothing new. It has nothing to do with the separation of religion and state. How do we explain why it happened? What is the psychology of this continuous war?
3: Well, first of all, I'd say when you go back far enough in history, you find Muslims, Christians, and Jews living peacefully together, um, and you find a lot of interpretations of Islam to say you have to respect people of the book, and, okay, if they live in our territory, they've got to pay a a tax because they're not contributing in other ways um, to the zakat. That's the charity. But um, always you see political leaders drumming people up with religion. So we saw that in the Balkans, for instance, and we we see people drumming up with ethnicity. I mean, when you talk about the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, uh, if you're you're gonna try to get people uh, worked up, you're gonna do a them and us, you know, those black people and the white people or the other way around. And it works. If you separate people and try to play upon their identity and say your identity, your religion is being insulted, you need to do something about it, it works. And that's all politics. It's also psychology that, you know, the things that we hold sacred and dear are important to us. So imagine, I mean, I know you're in Canada, but you know, there's plenty of veterans, if they saw you trampling on a US flag, they'd get really angry, and they might even get violent, because for them, that US flag is sacred. And, you know, for a lot of people, their religion is sacred. So if a politician tells them, this country, this other group of people is insulting our religion, they can get people worked up.
0: So what are we supposed to do? Well, How is society supposed to react? Where does the fear originate from? I I really can't believe it is all political and media-driven.
3: No, of course not. I mean, there's there's real things. I mean, ISIS is real, and they're beheading and raping and doing horrible things. Um, But, you know, the underlying issues are political, the Shia-Sunni divide that uh, Zarqawi, one of the first uh, uh, terrorists in Iraq, and you know their whole group moved to Syria, uh, exploited that. He wanted as much killing as possible between the Shia and Sunni because he knew that it would make his group strong. For exactly what we just got done talking about, that if you if you create an other and an enemy, and they start killing each other, then eventually you're going to get your people to group together and really angry and really upset about the other group but what do we do um as much as possible we create security so that um uh people don't divide along those lines and uh uh see any benefit to themselves of believing those kind of lies Mm -hmm. because eventually if you do get people to divide and they fight each other there's truth in the lies they become true I mean, we saw that in Iraq when um, Zarqawi was um, doing marketplace bombings of Shia and doing horrible things to the Shia. They retaliated and they started murdering Sunni people in the most despicable ways. I have a friend that worked in the morgue and she still has nightmares of it. And, um, you know, after a while, then it becomes true. You can't trust your neighbor who is the other. Mm -hmm. And um, so you have to work to restore that. And that's very difficult. It's much better to do prevention. And that's why we need to be really careful in our countries that we don't um, whip up rhetoric against Muslims, that instead we see, for the most part, most of us are moderates, um, whether we're Christian, Jewish, or Muslim. Of course, there's extremists in all three of those groups. And um, the extremists we should speak against, but we should be very aware that we want to stay united. And to be honest with you, if I was a Muslim parent raising a teenager right now, I'd be really scared. And I would want all the support I could possibly get around that teenager, because teenagers are by definition experimenting and uh, separating from their parents and, uh, let's face it, a bit stupid. And uh, everything coming at them over the internet from groups like ISIS is trying to seduce them and say, you don't like the existing world order? I've got a new one for you.
0: So... Freedom of speech is good in one aspect, but it is deadly in another, right?
3: And there's your trade. For me, I'll take freedom of speech no matter what. And uh, I I, I like living with freedom of speech, but, you know, some people would say we should limit it. Mm -hmm. But since I was a little girl, there were, uh, you know, uh, parades where Nazis were free to parade themselves on the street. I think they're despicable. Yeah. But... I still would rather live in a country that has free speech and take the risks that go with that.
0: All right. And, uh, for, let me ask you this about free speech. The separation of religion and, and state, church and state. Should it be the, the free speech right of any Christian who wants to say the Lord's Prayer in school? Shouldn't they be guaranteed that right? And yet that right has been taken away from them because of the Muslims... Who disagree with it that it infringes on their rights? Where's the trade-off back, there, doctor?
3: I think if you go back to those cases, they were mostly brought by atheists and uh, possibly some of them by Jewish people. But I don't. I think that argument was started way before we had uh, uh, too much Muslim immigration, and I don't think that it was Muslims that were uh, bringing those cases.
0: But yeah, and yet they, when you look in when you look into the recent case in in the state of Maryland. It was the Muslims who brought the case to the school board that they were saying Christmas and Easter.
3: Well, you know, we uh, we have those cases all the time. And then it's, you know, going to the extreme that you're limited and you can't uh, speak about religion in public places. Mm-hmm. And um, again, it's straight offs Would you rather have the two things separated and not have anybody else impose their religion? You know. I mean, I remember when my husband was serving in Iraq, mm-hmm. he said soldiers very often were letting Christian prayers. And I thought if I was a Jew or a Muslim, I, I would resent that, that my leader was praying a Christian prayer over us before we went into battle. So are you saying,
0: I, are, you saying that, would, are you saying that any reference to God should be taken away, for example, in God we trust? Should that be changed because it might offend the Muslims?
3: That wouldn't be the reason for changing it. The reason for changing it would be to separate church and state, which is in our Constitution. I'm not a constitutional lawyer, so I don't know how far you should go. And I would prefer that it just stayed rather moderate um, for my own preferences. But I'm a psychologist, not a lawyer, so so that you really should pose those questions to lawyers. So we don't shake
0: the boat, right?
3: I'm sorry, what? We
0: don't shake the boat. We don't stir the pot.
3: Oh, no, I would definitely stir the pot. I have no problems with stirring the pot, but I don't believe that it's— to um, please Muslims that we now are not allowed to have Christmas trees, Christmas pageants, uh, to say prayers before school starts. Those those cases in the U.S. are really old. Yeah, they go back to the 1960s and 70s, mm-hmm. and I believe they were brought by groups like the ACLU, um, and they were brought in behalf of parents that were either atheists or non-Christian but not Muslims who uh, resented that, taxpayer dollars were being used to pray prayers that they didn't agree with and they have a point i mean Mm -hmm. i i would prefer for me i would prefer that we just kind of all get along and i think those people do take it a bit far but you know obviously they're within their rights within the constitution or else they wouldn't win their legal cases
0: isn't it funny you know why i i had a i had a an expert on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he said, "It's what is happening in the United States and other countries in the world is you're taking a male beta fish and throwing it in with a bunch of females. There are certain fish that don't mix. There are certain people that don't mix.
3: Oh, my God, you could say that. You know, Do you remember when we had John F. Kennedy running for president? Everybody was so afraid that he was a Catholic and mm-hmm. he was going to be following the problem. We've heard the same thing about Jews, and mm-hmm. to me, it's just disgusting. Why but would we've, never had,
0: we've never had Catholics blow us up. We've never had Catholics.
3: Sure we have. Sure we have. We've had abortion clinic bombings.
0: Oh, well, hold on, hold had... on here, hold on here, hold on here. We're, you're, mixing, yeah. you're mixing apples and bananas. I'm talking about terrorist attacks. We haven't had Catholics who have committed terrorist attacks in the homeland. We haven't Did had. Have.
3: Yes, we have. Abortion clinic. That's not a terrorist uh, attack. Well, it certainly is uh, by U.S. government definitions. And and,
0: and and yet we can't classify the Black Lives Matter movement as a terrorist group.
3: Um, you may be able to do that. I don't know enough about them to do them. And State Department will certainly um, classify them as a terrorist group if they are, in fact, a terrorist group. But abortion clinic terrorists, there's no question about it that they're terrorists. They blow things up. They assassinate abortion doctors. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have mandatory sanctions for abortion clinic mm-hmm. terrorism by the law yeah. and uh, it's been all carried out by Christian groups so we have Christians that are terrorists and if you want to say we've got yeah, to take
0: we've people. got to take a break here we'll be back in a few seconds Exo Nation, Dr. Ann Speckard is our special guest Speckard.com uh, and www.icsv.org we'll be back after this break don't go away Explanation. Doctor Ann Speckard is our special guest, www.anspeckard.com dot com and www.icsve.org. dot O R G. Before we went to the uh, break, uh, Doctor, we were talking about how one expert says that it you know, trying to mix all these different cultures and all these different religions is basically doing something that members of the animal kingdom and uh, and other species on this planet of ours, realize cannot be done. How can we then successfully believe that if we are part of the animal kingdom, that we can do what Mother Nature has been unable to do since the beginning of time?
3: You sound like you're right out of the Hitler Youth or the Nazi
0: movement. Um, No, ma'am, I'm just tired of Canadians and Americans not being able to get the proper care that they need because their government is too... Focused on bringing in immigrants because the government is going after the immigrant vote. That's what I'm straight out of
3: Okay, but you're talking about the animal kingdom and mixing uh, uh, Species, I mean who's the who's the non-humans here immigrants Muslims
0: Go on I'm listening
3: well the same things were said about the Jews during the Holocaust that they were vermin and uh, that's a terrible thing to say about any class of human being. If you want to talk about terrorists and say we don't want to let terrorists into our country and we should be extremely careful, you can go as far as you wish mm-hmm. um, to say these are the limits of how I would be careful. I would not allow one single immigrant into this country because I fear terrorists. I happen to disagree with you. Um, I know plenty of immigrants that are Muslims that are doing great work. My mm-hmm. partner's one of them. Uh, Ahmet Yala. He's from Turkey. He's Muslim, and he's fighting ISIS daily.
0: And yet, where ISIS is winning, we're losing.
3: Well, is that because he's a vermin?
0: No, I mean that's because they, it seems that the forces who are def- trying to defeat ISIS just are missing something. What are what are they missing? You know, it's nice to talk about the psychology of the of the immigrants, and I'll agree with you. There is good and bad in every group. In every group. So let's, let's take a look where I believe the microscope should go, and that's on the military, that's on the government, that's on organizations like NATO. How come these people, these organizations, aren't doing what many perceive to be not enough? How come the United States hasn't put boots on the ground? Wouldn't that be the logical thing to do?
3: It might be, but um, Boots on the Ground, the last time we did it in Iraq, cost billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. didn't have a good result. And um, uh, there's a lot of exhaustion in the U.S. for spending more money because people want their own roads, their own schools, their own hospitals, their own shopping Mm -hmm. malls to be uh, uh, built up, and they want taxpayer dollars spent in their own country. So most Americans are not real enthusiastic about spending a whole gob of money to go over to Syria, especially when we can't find a good partner. And uh, we were arming people, and then we found out some of our arms were going into the very group that we're trying to fight. So if there's not a good partner, uh, it might not be a good idea. Yeah, if there's not a lot of enthusiasm for boots on the ground, um, probably you're going to get voted out of office as soon as uh, possible.
0: So it's all politically, yeah, you know, it's politically motivated. It might cost thinking, it might cost the government yeah. some money. Geez, imagine that. And and yet, you know, there's not enough money for the homeless. There's not enough money for the hungry. There's not enough money for the unemployed. There's not enough money for the veterans who go over there and give so much, and when they come back home, get so little, and yet, refugees, they get the golden treatment. I don't understand that.
3: So now, now you're mixing two things, because you asked me why we don't put boots on the ground, mm-hmm. and the veterans are a very good reason that we don't, because we now are overwhelmed with veterans. Our VA mm-hmm. cannot keep up. Mm-hmm. We're having suicide, and we do need to take care of our veterans. Sure. And there should be money for them. So if we turn around and spend the money to go back into Syria, and also don't get a good result, um, that would be a horrible pity, especially for our veterans, especially for our soldiers, and uh, immigrants. As far as I know, um, you know, get basic welfare. Um, I don't think they get any golden treatment.
0: I would, if. Yeah. I was to have any authority and the powers to be, I would, like many people believe, shut the borders down until the problems are solved within the country first.
3: Well then if you could come and vote, you should vote for Donald Trump. I would not do that. I fully support
0: Um, I fully support Donald Trump. There's no big secret there. I fully support uh, him. And I, you know, like I send enough letters to our members of Parliament to let them know that I am not happy. I am not happy with you know, taking care of outsiders before taking care of Canadians. And I don't know of any Canadian or any American who isn't, who doesn't share the idea that we need to take care of our own first. You clean up your own house before you clean up another's house.
3: If you're talking about houses, I would agree with you. But if you're talking about people that are running away from horrible dictators, from groups that behead and rape. Um, I would open my arms to the people that are running and help them because I believe in uh, doing humanitarian good and that it comes back to uh, bless you in the end. If you don't Mm. believe that, then uh, you seem a bit selfish to me and I'm sorry to hear it.
0: I'm not selfish, ma'am. I'm a realist. I don't live in the world of kumbaya. Let's hold hands and sing and toast marshmallows.
3: Okay. It's well, a real you know, world you can, out there. wouldn't let me into my country either, because I'm Irish, and, you know, back when my great-grandmother came, mm-hmm. you would have said, dirty Irish. No, me, ma'am, I, I wouldn't.
0: No, ma'am, I wouldn't. No, ma'am, I wouldn't, because the Irish believe in God. The Irish don't yep. try to blow me up.
3: What about when the Jews were running from the Holocaust? Would you have let them in?
0: Definitely. They yep. believe in God as Well...
3: well Okay, but a lot of them didn't believe in God. A lot of them were atheists. And a lot of them uh, were labeled as vermin and horrible and, uh, you know, and, and they were turned away. Well, let me
0: ask you this then, Doctor. You just raised a, a wonderful point. When the world saw what Hitler was doing with the Holocaust, the world banded together and fought the Germans. How come the world isn't banding together? this time with the same atrocities going on in Syria. What's the big difference here?
3: Probably because under George W. Bush, we went into a country that hadn't attacked us, and uh, it didn't turn out so well, and everybody's like, don't go back to the Middle East.
0: Why isn't it possible to reallocate the Syrians to a part of Africa where they can be safe, taken care of, until the problems in Syria are resolved, and then relocate them back to Syria?
3: That's one solution. And, you know, uh, if you um, think it's a good one, then you should propose it. I have. I think, you know, uh, many politicians would find reasons that that wouldn't work. Um, I've never really considered it seriously, so mm. I don't have much of an answer other than that that's a possible solution.
0: So, taking a lot of the fear factor that many non-muslims have about muslims how do how do you address that what would you say to the people listening tonight around the world who may who may just have that 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 thought
3: i would say look at the terrorists and look at how many come from uh other backgrounds. I mean, I just wrote a book on Shannon Connolly. She was a Catholic white girl mm-hmm. raised by uh, professional parents, and she got sucked into a terrorist group and was on her way to ISIS. So, you know, it's it's not a guarantee that if you're a Christian or white, you're never going to be a terrorist, and it's not a guarantee that if you're Muslim and brown, uh, you're for sure a terrorist. People gravitate to things because they meet their needs. And because they're seduced into it. And for the most part, we have not seen refugees uh, come as terrorists. We have seen refugees after a long time settling in an area, falling prey to that. And that worries me that if we are going to take refugees from Mm -hmm. war-torn areas, we need to treat them well. And we need to make sure that they get psychological treatment for the traumas from the places they've run away from. And who is going to pay
0: for all this? Where does the money come from? the taxpayer, the American citizen who pays taxes, isn't this just creating a bigger problem?
3: If you think that your tax money should never go to help poor people that are running away from atrocities, uh, then I'm sorry. I don't mean this as an insult, but I view you as a bit selfish. I, for one, don't mind if my tax payer dollars help some refugees all right then let me
0: ask you this doctor you don't mind if your tax dollars help refugees and i admire that in you however why not take that tax dollar money and put it in the armed forces who by the way volunteered they weren't they weren't drafted to be members of the military this is their job and if they cannot do their job They shouldn't have joined the armed forces because I guess a lot of them may have thought, well, gee, this is kind of peaceful time of, you know, in the centuries, I'm not going to get, see any action. But if that is all it is, then pay, put the money where your money will best be served. And that is in the military. Let the military do their job, solve the problem.
3: Wouldn't that work? If you think you can kill your way out of it, but you can't kill your way out of a political problem, you have to come to political solutions. Your military can help, mm-hmm. but your military cannot. I mean, you can't kill all the terrorists. I had a congressman say that to me. We're, we're making, and I would love to tell your listeners about this, because I think it's a good solution, um, one way to fight ISIS. We're interviewing actual ISIS defectors and getting them on video, putting the videos back on the internet to Um, break their brand, basically. I showed it to a congressman and he said, you know, I have to tell you the truth. I think we should kill them all. When I got out of the meeting, I thought, okay, where's the cutoff? Do you kill the little kids? The six-year-olds in ISIS? Do we kill them? Do we kill all the women? I mean, where is the cutoff? Do we kill the ones that are related? You know, if you're related by marriage, are you in ISIS or not in ISIS?
0: Doctor, I hate to do this. I've run out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a very good debate, and uh, exonation, if you'd like to find out more information, www.anspectard.com and ICSVE.org.